All right, so in your Bible this morning, Romans chapter 8 is, is where we'll be, and the title of the message is Groaning for Glory. Groaning for Glory. And I'm not talking about Alabama fans in the fourth quarter of the LSU game last night, of which I was one that was groaning. Uh, however, uh, Romans chapter 8 has some interesting, this portion of text really is pretty amazing when you read through it because there's actually three different people groups that groan in Romans chapter 8, and, and all three are groaning for God to give the glory. And, uh, and so I think it's a cool passage. So we're going to read it together. Romans 8, if you look at verses 18 to 27, we'll kind of read this and then get into the text. The Bible says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was subject, excuse me, yeah, for the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan, listen to this, within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, and hope but hope that is not seen is hope that is seen is not hope. But what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit maketh itself intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. It's an uh, interesting passage of Scripture, and, and there's a lot of different places we could go with this uh, as far as expositing uh, the portion of Scripture for us. But I do find it very interesting that the word groan appears three different times in relation to three different people groups in this passage. You see, there is, there is some groaning that is expect, expecting God's glory and, and God to get the glory out of three different people groups. And, and we're going to study those three in detail because all three of them desire for God ultimately to get the glory in all things. And so let's look at them together really quick as we get into the notes. Number one, you know, the Christian groans for his body to be adopted. Every child that's born again, every child of God that's born again, that's in Christ, there is a desire in your body, whether you realize it or not, to, to see this body of sin and this body of flesh transformed, changed into a glorified body. Paul said in verse 18 and 19, he said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory Listen, which shall be revealed in us. This is something in the future that's going to happen to every child of God. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Down in verse 23, he says, not only they, but ourselves, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. In other words, every person that's born again, we ourselves groan within ourselves. That's interesting to me. That means that every Christian has two natures, your old sinful nature, 
that, that God saved you from, that God cut you away from when you got saved, but then a new nature that desires to be glorified with him, a new nature that desires to be, to be separated for eternity from this sinful body into a glorified body that God has promised us. We groan within ourselves, and what we are waiting for is the adoption. In other words, the redemption of our body. And so in your notes, look, I, I put a, a teaching moment in here because your salvation, well, it has a past application when you got saved. And there was something significant that happened when you put your faith and trust in Christ. Did you know that? And the Bible has a very precise word for that. The Bible says that you were justified when you put your faith in Christ. And the word justified in your Bible means that you and I were made just as if we had what? We had never sinned. That's what justification is. That happened the moment that you put your faith and trust in Christ. You were justified. That was in the past on a certain day at a certain time. For me, July 11th, 1997. The Bible says because I put my faith and trust in Christ, I was justified. But listen, your salvation isn't just a past event. It is a present event because the second thing that happens is that you are presently being sanctified. You are being set apart for God's purposes. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 to 4 says this, This is the will of God, even your sanctification. Not your justification, your sanctification. And here's how it plays out, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. So your salvation presently is a position of sanctification. You're being sanctified. Prayerfully, you're being sanctified. You're being set apart from sinful things and set apart toward God and toward holy things. Does that make sense? You were justified in the past. You're being sanctified presently. But your salvation has a future application, and we'll call that being glorified. Being glorified. That is where in the future... At the rapture or the resurrection, your salvation will be complete. In other words, the best is yet to come. You have more wonderful things that are going to happen because of your salvation in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, I think Cody alluded to this last week in verse 17. It says, if, if children, then heirs, heirs of God. We're heirs of God. We're joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him that we may also be, and here's the word, glorified together. You see, your body has not been redeemed yet. Do you hear me? Your soul and spirit have been, man. You're eternally secure in Christ. But you are still in this corruptible, sinful body that still causes you problems and causes me problems. Listen, we're still in it. I'm not saying your body causes me problems. I'm saying my body causes me problems. And maybe I cause you problems too. I don't know. I'm just telling you that this body needs to be redeemed. There's something inside of you that groans to put off this old man forever and to be in a glorified God, body that God has promised us, okay? And, and so in your, in, your, in your notes, the first point is this. Every believer in Christ will get a glorified body. Take it to the bank. Romans chapter 8 says that, that there's a part of you because of the Spirit of God in you that cannot wait. The inside man wants to get out <laughs> of this outside man and to be glorified with Christ. Let's look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 
verses 1 to 4. The Bible says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, in other words, our body, we have a building of God, an house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we, what's the word? We groan, we desire, we sigh after, we long after, we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from, you know, last night watching that silly ball game, you know, I'm pacing back and forth in the living room and I'm, you know, yelling at the TV and my kids think I've, you know, been possessed with a demon or something. I don't know what they were thinking. Man, I'm groaning, I'm desiring, I'm earnestly desiring for a miracle. There's still time. (laughs) There's a minute and a half left. You know, there's still time. I'm just desiring for the glory of a win. And, you know, what don't happen with Alabama football will happen with the saints of God because (laughs) because God cannot lie. And and, and listen, His Word promises that what we desire we're going to get and our desire is to be clothed upon with our house from heaven. Verse 3, if so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan. We groan presently being burdened. You know, this old flesh suit ain't nothing but a burden. It ain't nothing but a burden. And, 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 and listen, Paul's writing to the Corinthians and he says, you know what? We groan, not that we'd be unclothed, but that we would be clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Philippians chapter 3 says that our conversation, our lifestyle is in heaven from which also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned, listen, like unto His glorious body. You see, every believer has a hope within them that has a, has a desire, an earnest desire, a groaning to be delivered from this bondage of corruption, as it, as it said. And, and whether, you know, uh, whether you have it good right now and nothing in your life aches yet, count your blessings there, <laughs> and, and the hairs of your head hadn't started falling out and all those different things, listen, Every child of God still desires to be glorified because, because God made you, when he, when he made you new in Christ, He made you for eternity. And this body's not made for eternity. This one's not. It's still vile. It's still corruptible. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm, I'm going to skip ahead, Derek, but in, in 1 Corinthians 15, the, the famous chapter on the resurrection uh, and, and the rapture, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 51 says this, Paul writes and he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we, in other words, die. Not not every one of us is going to die before the actual rapture happens. But we shall all be changed. We're all going to be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And we, in other words, we that are alive shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and the mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that's written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? Do you know that if you're alive when the rapture happens, 
And God, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, when God calls the body of Christ up and you happen to be alive when that happens, you know what you'll be able to say? Oh, death, where's your sting? You know why you'll be able to say that? Because you'll never experience it. You'll never experience death. You'll never experience it. There, there will be some people alive at the rapture that will not experience death. And they'll be able to profess with their mouth, Oh, death, where's your sting? And listen, there are people in the grave, our loved ones that have gone on before us. And listen, their soul and spirit are with the Lord in heaven, but their body is in the grave. And listen, at the resurrection, at the rapture and the resurrection, you know what they'll be able to profess? Oh, grave, where's your victory? Because the grave won't be able to hold them. They're coming out of that grave. I'm telling you, there is a part of us that, that, that yearns and desires as a child of God for that glorified body. And, and we groan within ourselves waiting for that day to happen. I hope in Philippians 3 that the case is true in your life. I hope that every day you are looking for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because your conversation, friend, is in heaven, not on this earth. Not on this earth. You are to wake up every day thinking today's the day. Today's the day of the rapture. Today's the day of the rapture. Well, it didn't happen yet. Then tomorrow morning you wake up and say, today's the day of the rapture. And you get ready and you live your life on purpose for the Lord Jesus Christ. Every believer will get a glorified body. But friend, let me, let me caution you with this next point. Every believer will, and it is parentheses, probably not have the same glorified body. And you say, what do you mean by that? Well, well... In Romans 8 and verse 17, the Bible says that, that if we suffer with him, then we will be glorified together. And I'm just telling you, there is something in the Bible about your present suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ that equates to your glorified body and your capacity to rule and reign with him in the millennium. And, and for some of you, maybe this is, you know, 30,000 feet, but for some of you, you can receive this. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 says this. It's a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. And it doesn't mean that he'll deny us salvation, because salvation is a birth. But, but there is potential to be denied the privilege of ruling and reigning with Christ during that millennial thousand-year reign. You see, the judgment seat of Christ is going to be the thing that really manifests for, for the Christian, I believe, uh, his capacity or her capacity to rule and reign with Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, let's look at the judgment seat of Christ real quick. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 11 to 15. The Bible says, and, and many of you know this story, for other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, listen, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Every man's work shall be made what? Manifest. And manifest is the key word. Because in Romans 8, it says that, that there is a desire for the sons of God, the children of God to be manifest, to, to be seen as they really are. 
Well, the judgment seat of Christ, the Bible says every man's work will be manifest. The day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And again, your sin is already paid for on the cross of Calvary. But there is a judgment of fire coming for every Christian, every believer in Christ. And it will sort out and make manifest what you've done for the Lord. Or what you haven't. Or what you haven't. Look at verse 14. If any man's work abide, he which hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. That is a conditional statement. If. In other words, all of our works go through the fire of God's judgment at the judgment seat of Christ, not because of our our sin, but because of our work since salvation. And God's holy, righteous fire judges our, our works and of what sort they are and the motive and what really was a result of our life as a child of God. And if any man's work abide that he built on the foundation of Christ, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned... He shall suffer loss, loss of reward, but he himself shall be saved yet so as by fire because the foundation is Christ. And so listen, every man's work is going to be made manifest. Church, listen, we will all stand individually and give an account at the judgment seat of Christ. And listen, our works will be manifest and they will either abide or burn. And so listen, the question for us is, what body of work will be left on the foundation of Christ that we built upon? And what will that glorified body look like? And again, I wish we had time, but you know, the Bible talks about different crowns that are given as reward at the judgment seat of Christ. Well, I'm, I'm kind of interested in how those crowns are made. How, how are those crowns made? How, where do those crowns come from? Generally, crowns are made of gold, silver, and precious stones. It it, it comes from a life that was spent serving the Lord, walking with the Lord, doing the ministry of the Great Commission, not just being saved and, and being a Christian for 40, 50, 60 years, but actually serving the Lord and suffering with Him. You know, the Bible says that all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So our present suffering will have something to do with our future glory in Christ. And listen, there's a part of you that knows that. The inside man, the inner man knows that. The inner man desires to be separated from this flesh suit and to be glorified with Christ. And listen, everything that you do from the day you got saved to the day of the rapture or from the day you got saved to the day you breathe your last breath on this life will have something to do with that glorified body. So live on purpose. Live on purpose. Desire, groan, yearn for, sigh for, earnestly desire to make your life matter. You see, there are a lot of Christians, man, listen, at the judgment seat of Christ, their work will be manifest. And through that judgment, there won't be anything left other than a person that that will be able to say, I'm saved. The only thing left of their life will be a foundation that was built on Christ. And I'm thankful for that. I just don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that person. And friend, you don't either.
you don't either. So there is something inside of you, the Christian groans for that adoption, the, 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 the redemption of our body. That's really the doctrine of adoption that the Bible talks about. We're born into God's family, but when he redeems our body, that is the adoption. Now skip to verse 22. We, we, you have to listen faster. You're not doing a good job this morning. Listen faster. Look at verse 22. The second thing that groans in this passage is creation. So the creature, us, we groan for that glorified body. But I also want you to understand that all of creation is groaning, and it's groaning for a rebirth. <clears throat> Look at verse 22. Paul writes and he says, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. I mean, when you read those words, does it, does it not make you kind of like ache on the inside? Like, like creation is groaning and travailing. It's like, ah, and, it, and it's waiting for something. Well, what it's waiting for is redemption. It's waiting for rebirth. And here's the key principle that you need to understand. This entire creation is still under a curse. It's still under a curse. You say, man, we're trying to do better. We, we got green, you know, green energy, and we're trying to save the planet and reduce emissions and you know, reduce our carbon footprint and you know, have electric cars. Listen, this whole creation is still under a curse. I want you to understand that. Now, some people would say, well, you know, that's all Adam's fault. You go back to Genesis chapter 3, and you know, Adam and Eve, they sinned in the garden, and as a result of that sin, God said, curse it is the, the what? The what? The ground for your sakes. Did he say the whole creation was cursed because of Adam? He said the ground was cursed. And because of that, you're going to bring forth thorns and thistles and all the days of your life, you're going to sweat as you're working that ground, right? That's what he said. The problem with that thinking that, that the ground is cursed because of Adam is that's not the whole creation. As a matter of fact, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 to see where God made the whole creation and see where the curse is, you need to go back to where God created it. And that's Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created his creation, the heaven and the earth. And the earth was, it was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Here is the creation in 1-1, the heaven and the earth. And a good student of the Bible knows that God never makes anything without form and void and dark. As a matter of fact, everything that he made and created has substance and structure and form. He didn't make blobs that evolved into something. Amen. We're not Christian evolutionists. <laughs> we believe the Bible literally. The earth in Genesis 1-2 is underwater. It has been flooded. It is without form and void. Why is the earth in Genesis 1-2 under judgment? Well, the reason it's under judgment is because after Genesis 1-1 is when Lucifer fell. And, and again, we don't have time this morning, but if you'll stick around this church long enough, you'll hear the teaching. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, Lucifer was the anointed cherub that covereth. And in his pride, he lifted up, and because of his sin, he rebelled against God because he wanted to be God. And God judged him, and there was a judgment, and he was cast out, and he was cast off his throne. And as a result of God's judgment on Lucifer, who became Satan, this earth was put underwater. 
And if you were to take the time to go through Genesis, by the way, anything underwater is always under judgment. Do you know that? Noah's flood is a great example. Everybody that was under the water, what happened to them? They died. If you weren't in the ark, you died. Anything underwater is always judgment. When you are baptized with water baptism, it is a picture of death and burial and resurrection. It's a picture. It's a type. And so listen, when you go through Genesis chapter 1 and you begin to take verse by verse exactly how God separated the waters, you find that there is still a body of water above the second heaven, above outer space. And some of you are looking at me like, what are you talking about? Second heaven, third heaven, what are you talking about? See for reference, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. The first heaven is our sky, our atmosphere. The second heaven is outer space. The third heaven is where God dwells. And they're currently, presently, even though NASA hasn't found it yet, when they do find it, they're going to validate that God already said it. There is a body of water that separates the second heaven and the third heaven. What does that matter? Because this earth is still under it. It is still under judgment. It is still under a curse. It needs to be redeemed. And listen, God, God continues to prove that over and over in his word. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 10 to 13 says this, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens, listen, shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be, what's the word? Dissolved. Hey, because you know that, Peter says, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? In other words, when you understand what the Bible says about the beginning and the end, well, it's for your holiness. It's not for your, it's not to puff you up. It's not, it's not so that you can say, man, I can take my Bible and I can map out what the entire universe looks like according to the Word of God and I can prove you wrong. It's not for that. It's for seeing that you, you know that, you ought to be a type of person. You ought to have holy conversation, holy lifestyle. It ought to drive you to godliness and it ought to make you look for something, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look, listen, for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. You see, this creation is still under a curse, and that happened all the way back in Genesis 1, not Genesis chapter 3. And when God, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes back, and at the end of his millennial reign, Revelation chapter 20, he will set up what is called the great white throne judgment. And in Revelation 20 and verse 11, John wrote and he said, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face, listen, the earth and the heaven fled away and it was found no place for him. That's not just poetic license. This earth and these heavens will dissolve at the coming of the Lord and at the great white throne judgment. And listen, all of humanity will stand 
Well, they won't really stand. I guess they'll float. <laughs> I don't even really guess they'll float because space will have been dissolved. I guess they'll just be suspended before the Lord himself. And he will judge lost man for his sin. Isaiah 24, some great references where, where the earth is going to be dissolved. It's going to be destroyed. And so here's the point. This entire creation is under a curse. But number two, this entire creation is going to be made new. You see, when you got saved, God didn't make you better. He made you new. You know that? It's a new birth. 2 Corinthians 5 says that you're a new creature. Well, he does the same thing with this earth. He does the same thing with his creation. And when you get to Revelation 21, and, and for the serious Bible student, Revelation 21 is after Revelation... See, I knew the smart people were here this morning. You didn't even have to go to seminary for that. In Revelation chapter 20, the heaven and the earth is dissolved and consumed. In Revelation 21 and verse 1, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. You see, there's a day coming when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to remove the curse over this creation. There's some cool things that happen in the millennium, and if you're, again, if you're a student of the Bible, you know some of those things. When he's on this earth ruling and reigning, there's some, there's some interesting things that are going to happen. You can read the book of Ezekiel and, and get, get a little bit of insight. But I'm telling you, even as awesome as that is, there's still going to be a new heaven and a new earth. This creation is groaning for it. It's begging for it. It's trying to get back to Genesis 1-1. That's what it's trying to do. And it can't do it without the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like you can't be made new without the Lord Jesus Christ. you got to have him. you got to have him. He is the only one that can accomplish that. And that leads us to our last point, and we're done. Look, number three, the Comforter, a.k.a. the Holy Spirit. The Comforter groans, and he groans for God's will to be accomplished. You see, you as a Christian, you groan for the adoption there's a part of you that's just begging, man, the rapture to happen today and for your glorified body to, 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 to cover you, if you will, today. And this whole creation is groaning, and the only thing that's going to fix the creation from groaning is for the Lord to come. The only thing that will fix your sinful body is for the Lord to come and to take us. And then lastly, listen, this, this comforter, this Holy Spirit, well, he's groaning, and he's within you, but he's groaning for something specific. He wants God's will to be accomplished in your life. Look at verse 26 through 27. We're done. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us. Listen. With groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. Because he maketh intercession for the saints According to what? According to the will of God. So the comforter, according to John 14 and verse 16, is the Holy Spirit of God. And if you're saved, the Spirit of God is in you. He has sealed you until the day of redemption. And that Spirit of God also makes intercession for you. He is groaning for you. Can Listen, everybody just be quiet. Can you hear him? You can't hear him. But he's groaning. Uh, uh, can, can you hear this creation right now? Just, I mean, I know you hear the air conditioner, but you, you don't hear the creation groaning, but it is. Oh, it, do you hear your inner man? 
Now, you don't hear it, but it's groaning. And the Spirit of God is groaning. And what he's groaning for is for God's perfect will, listen, to be accomplished in your life. That's what he's groaning for. That's what he's interceding for on your behalf. It's groanings that can't be uttered. And yet, you don't hear them, but they are continually going up before the Lord and to the Lord on your behalf. First key is this. You need to understand, Christian, that you and I are continually covered by intercession from the Holy Spirit of God. Aren't you thankful for that? Listen, there's times where you don't know what to pray for. I'm thankful that we have time in Sunday school to pray. I'm thankful that we once a month have Wednesday night prayer meeting. There's just some times where you don't know what to pray for. And the Holy Spirit of God is able, he's able to help. He, he is in me to help me. The Bible says he helpeth our infirmities. We know, it, we know it's not what we should pray for. You need to have the confidence that even when you don't know what to pray for, the Spirit of God's got your back. He's there to help you. He's there to pray God's will for your life. You and your flesh may not pray for God's will, but he certainly will. He's going to pray for God's will to be accomplished in your life. Number two, the Spirit of God always will lead me to walk in the will of God. The Spirit of God will always lead me to walk in the will of God. He is groaning that I would accomplish God's will in my life. Now, let me ask you a question, Christian. Don't answer this. How often have you prayed like that? How often have you prayed to accomplish God's will in your life? You see, if we would line our prayer life up with the Holy Spirit's prayer life, I think we'd see a lot more accomplished. What do you think? What do you think? Huh? Uh, we, we need to learn to play, pray and play, pray and play for God's will to be accomplished in our life. Listen, he, he is absolutely driving us toward the accomplishing God's will. You have to pray for that. God's word, it reveals his will. And if we'd spend time in God's word, we'd see clearly what his will is. And by the way, his will is the same for you as it is for me. You say, Jay, you're a preacher. Well, yeah, I am a preacher, but that doesn't matter. God's will is the same for every Christian. God's plan may be different, but God's will is the same for every born-again believer. And the Spirit of God is always going to lead you and, and drive you in the direction to walk in the will of God for your life. Lastly is this. He is the Spirit of adoption. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, that Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of adoption. And again, the adoption is the redemption of our body, which is another great reason why you can't lose your salvation. He is the spirit of adoption. He is the spirit of redemption. Okay. You guys got 30 more minutes? No, I'm just kidding. I need 30 more, but we don't have it. So Romans 8 gives us three, three different peoples, if you will, that are groaning for God to get the glory. At the rapture, when you get a glorified body, that's what will glorify God. Do you realize that? When creation is remade, Revelation 21, that's when God will get the glory. When you walk in the will of God for your life, that's when God gets the glory. That's when God gets the glory. So three, three realities that I need today to walk in victory. Number one, I need to understand that my present sufferings are incomparable to eternity. I need to understand that my present sufferings are incomparable to eternity. Now listen, we all live short-sighted. I appreciate what Josh said. We need to have a 2020 vision for missions. But we need to have 2020 vision as Christians too. 
We don't want to get too nearsighted. We all live short-sighted, man, in, in the scope of eternity. We suffer in this life, but don't let your sufferings make you forget about the eternity that you have with the Lord. And I have a ton of verses. We don't have time for these verses. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, I want to I I be a partaker of the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. I, I want to I experience that because I'm, I, I know that I'm going to be glorified with him one day. 2 Corinthians 1 talks about that the sufferings that we have, the partaker of his sufferings. Listen, we experience those sufferings. We also experience God's consolation. We also experience God's consolation. So whatever you're going through today, Christian, let me just encourage you. Presently, your suffering is incomparable to eternity. You can't even compare it. You say, you don't know how bad my doctor's report is. My heart goes out to you. I don't. But I know in the grand scheme of eternity, it's incomparable. Compared to your glorified body, it's incomparable. Number two, I need to realize that the bondage of corruption in my flesh is incomparable to the soon coming glory. I need to realize that the bondage of corruption in my flesh is incomparable to the soon coming glory. In other words, Galatians tells us that if we sow to the flesh of the flesh, we're going to reap what? Corruption. But if we sow to the Spirit, we're going to reap life everlasting. And here's my point. Don't sell out for the short term. Don't sell out for your flesh. Flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. Corruption doesn't inherit the kingdom of God, but in corruption. Please understand that your present corruptible body is, incorruptible, is incomparable to the glorified body that you're getting. Don't shortchange your walk with the Lord. Every time we choose the flesh, we choose corruption. Every single time. Every single time. We choose corruption over glory. And listen, we're kind of like Esau selling our birthright for a bowl of soup. Because our, our flesh is weak. And we need to have the long term in our mind and realize, man, this corruptible body is temporal. And God's got a, a glorified body. Don't sell out to sin and choose corruption. Number three, for victory. For victory. I need to exercise patience and hope. I need to exercise patience and hope. You know, they say never pray for patience. You hear that? <laughs> they say never pray for that. Uh, if you've made the mistake of praying for it, you know why they say that. Don't, don't pray for patience. Because God brings the things into your life to, to make you develop patience. If you go back to the verse in verse 24, it's not on the screen, but just look at it real quick. Romans 8 and verse 24. The Bible says we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why, did he, why does he yet hope for it? But we, if we hope for what we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. And here's the point. The point is, hope in the Bible is, is, is expecting what God said is going to happen is going to happen. It's just believing it. It's faith. It's believing that God said it. It's going to happen. Hope is not, boy, I sure hope God does something. No, no, no. Hope in the Bible is God has said this, and my hope is in that. It's my trust that God's going to accomplish his will. If we're going to live victoriously, and we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ victoriously, and have the opportunity to reign with him. Church, listen, we need to exercise patience and hope. How much patience do you need? You need enough patience to show up at the judgment seat of Christ and not be ashamed. Hebrews 12, Paul says, you know, there's this great cloud of witnesses. 
And because of that, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us and let us run with patience, the race that's set before us. Patience is something that comes with maturity. Any of you have kids know this. <laughs> you know, you, you take a trip and like five minutes into the trip, the, the question is, are we there yet? And you want to reach around and, you know, spank them from the front seat. Or some of you want to spank them. I do. You get a long enough belt, it'll reach the back seat. Okay, so anyways, <clears throat> you know, patience comes with maturity. Impatient Christians are generally carnal Christians. And they're not waiting on patience and hope. They're, they're wanting immediate results now. And literally, good things do come to those who wait. Because God's promised. God has promised. And so listen, the rapture may not happen today. I hope it does. But if it doesn't, there's tomorrow. And until then, God says, you need to have patience and you need to run in hope. Run in patience, run in hope. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 4, I, when we studied through the book of 1 Thessalonians, you hopefully will remember that church was severely persecuted and suffered for the cause of Christ. Paul was with them only a short three, three Sabbaths days. He didn't get to spend a lot of time there. He did write these epistles to them to encourage them. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4, he says, So that we ourselves glory in you, Thessalonians, in all the churches of God, for your patience. I mean, these Christians were being persecuted. They were suffering for their faith. It's not like America. They literally were being persecuted and killed for their faith. And Paul says, You have a testimony amongst all the churches of your patience and your faith. Would we have that kind of testimony? <laughs> Would you have that kind of testimony as a Christian? That your patience and faith is spoken of throughout all the world, throughout all the churches, throughout this church? There's a part of you that's groaning for God to get the glory. The redemption of this body, all of creation, the Spirit of God. The question is, will you respond to what he desires for your life. Let's not, let's not get raptured out of here, church, and stand at the judgment seat of Christ ashamed. Now, I know the judgment seat of Christ is not collective, but we can encourage one another. We can encourage one another. Hang in there. Don't give up. Don't sell out to sin. You can make it one more day. You can make it one more day. God is faithful. God is faithful. Let's pray. Father, we love you.